Hello and welcome to the Wealthy Wednesdays podcast for this week. We want to know, is it wise to buy an investment property with your boyfriend? Our mission is to make property investing easy and relationships are a very touchy subject. So that's why today we've asked a legal pro to come in and walk us through the pitfalls and uh, have a great chat. So welcome Dorian Sarkissian from InFocus Legal. Thanks, Steph. Great to be with you. And our director and co-founder of Wealthy, Dominic Neshi. Hello, everybody. This is a really good topic that we're touching on, Steph. And I want to just say this because Jody said I should. For all of you listening, make sure that you like, subscribe, share this little thing today because if you get some value, we really want it to touch and reach as many people out there as possible because it's a, it's a hot topic. It is a hot topic and it's something that I've thought about a lot. It's something my accountant probably talks to me more than I ever want to talk about um, because I started buying property at 21 uh, and a lot of my girlfriends ask me all the time as well. So I'm really excited about this chat, Dorian. Great. At Wealthy, we've seen the good, the bad and the ugly of property and uh, we want to we want to have this chat because it will be very valuable to a lot of our clients and, and our listeners out there uh, and we want to know how we can uh, set our clients up for success and le- the legal side of things are obviously a huge huge part of that. Fantastic. So what have you seen Dorian? Uh, how, how are you advising clients and, and what are your what are your thoughts around this? Yeah well we've seen it all. We've seen the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, at the moment actually I've got two clients, two separate matters and I'll outline what's happening in both because it will give you a good background as to what issues might arise. I've got a client actually they're a couple um, and they're you know, they've been together for about 10 years. They've bought a couple of investment properties together. Um, one of them was only in his name and the other one was in both their names. The relationships turned sour. Um, they're kind of looking at an exit strategy right now, but it's such a mess. I mean, where, where do they begin? There was no prior agreement about what would happen. Um, there was no exit strategy. So they're left with a bunch of questions that no one can answer. Um, what happens with the property? Who who gets the property? Um, does someone live in the property? Who lives in the property? Do they rent the property? Um, if they were to sell the property, who gets what? Do they both want to sell the property? Does one of them want to sell? So there are just a multitude of questions that are impossible to answer because not only are they complicated questions, but emotions are so high that just getting them in in the room to talk about these things is almost impossible. So you end up, they've ended up in this stalemate position where they can't move forward, they're stuck. And um, my, you know, I wish I could have told them 10 years ago, hey, let's have a conversation and and just put together some kind of exit strategy. On the other hand, I I had a client who's who's a young guy, he called me last week and, you know, pretty cluey. And he called me and said, um, I'm about to move in with my girlfriend. Um, what do I do to protect myself? And I just clarified with him, do you want legal advice or do you want um, <laughs> other kind of advice? Yeah. But no, it was legal advice he was after. And um, and I said to him, look, the best thing for you might be a, a binding financial agreement. And we can go into that a little later on. But You do see people who um, have thought about this and are keen to get that protection in place and it ends up being so much better for them. And then you see the the disaster cases where the relationships ended unfortunately and and they're in real strife trying to work out how to move forward together. 
I, or, or separately, actually. <laughs> Steph, I think something important in, in what Dorian's saying there is in, in this, there's two relationships or two, two agreements. One is a commercial agreement and then one is like your relationship or how are we going to have our relationship? So, you know, in, in there's different types of dynamics. In one relationship, you're going to have, you know, the guy or the girl pick up the bill very often and, and there's an expectation around how money is spent in some ways and that's around dinner and movies and, and holidays and fun and whatever. And then there's the commercial arrangement, which is we're buying assets together. How should it be split up? You know, you're earning more money than I am. Does that mean I should contribute more or we do everything equally or maybe someone is going to be putting up the deposit, but then someone else has, you know, can, can service the mortgage. There's so many ways that it can be cut up and it should be thought about clearly up front mm. while you're still friends. Correct. Because even when it's not a relationship, you know, friendship sour, family arrangements sour, a commercial arrangement sour. So it's when things are good and when you're civil and you're talking that you should have a clear understanding about what you want to get. And if things are going to go pear-shaped, what will the exit look like? Mm. And yeah. that's you touched on just friendships. So if we had two friends, not romantically involved, but two friends who were buying a property together, that would have its own set of issues and you'd encourage them to enter into a, you know, you'd think they're going to buy a property together as uh, in separate shares um, and they would have a tenancy in common agreement in place and that would set out, okay, um, who pays what and issues around the mortgage and the loan and also an exit strategy. But when it's a romantic relationship, there's the added complexity of family law where you might have an agreement in place, but you're also dealing with family law, which overrides, sometimes overrides the agreement you've got in place. Um, and, and that's why you can, you can do certain things to protect yourself. Um, and one of those th things is a binding financial agreement um, so that when the family law steps in and says, okay, we consider you to be a de facto uh, relationship uh, and we're going to split up your your, your property portfolio, your assets having regard to the Family Law Act, if you've got a binding financial agreement in place, at least it shows the court what your intentions were from the beginning. Um, so, so that's when we're talking about structures to protect someone. Um, we, there are two, two main things. The first thing is we'd, we'd ask them to um, have a think about whether they're buying a property as joint tenants or tenants in common. Joint tenants is where they both own the property together. And if one dies, the, the share of the other one automatically transfers to the surviving party. Um, tenants in common is where you can own the property in separate shares and they can also be unequal shares. So if someone's putting down 70% of the deposit um, and going to be paying 70% of the repayments, then they might have a 70% share on title and the other one would have 30%. Um, and that and if a party were to die, then that share would be dealt with in accordance with their will. It wouldn't automatically transfer to the other party. So that's the first structure that we kind of look at, tenants in common or, or, or joint tenants. And, yeah, the second one is, like I said, that binding financial agreement. Um, good to have it in place. It's, it's an exit strategy and it, and it avoids a lot of legal um, headaches and, and heartache, at, you know, if, if the parties were to go separate ways. 
Now, Dorian, breakups are hard enough as it is. And most of the time, our disappointment is that that uh, the difference between expectation and then reality and what mm-hmm. actually happens. Yep. And so when you're going through the heartache of, of breaking up with someone, I can't think of anything worse than trying to go back and retrace your steps and say, oh, I paid for this and I paid for that, um, particularly when it comes to buying a property. So how do you um, how do you advise sort of younger couples around when they're getting together in, that, in those early stages of a relationship where there may not be a marriage or partnership or kids? or anything sort of tangible um, to to describe the, the relationship? Yep. Um, really good question. Um, the, the first thing is have a conversation about it to get on the same page with um, expectations, um, commitments, what it's going to look like. Um, often um, it's, it's people who are have their act together, I guess, financially as a couple who who would tend to get the right advice up front as well. Um, it's not the type of thing you want to wing. Um, a lot of the times, you know, people will say, oh, look, this, we're happy together. Um, this is making you tense talking about <laughs> it. Yeah, <I> go, oh, <laughs> and people don't, people don't want to talk about Yeah, it's so taboo. The it's like... Um, you know, I'll often tell a client, hey, you've bought a property now, you've got kids, you should consider making a will. And they don't want to think about death. They don't want to talk about it. And it's the same with a relationship. They don't necessarily want to talk about the demise of a relationship. It's, hey, things are going great. We, we love each other and uh, we want to be together forever. No one goes into it thinking, yeah, I want to break up with you in 10 years or in five years. Um, the intention is that you will stay together, but... Um, Unfortunately, things change and situations arise and, and um, emotions get high. And so getting, obviously, encouraging them to have the conversation to begin with, we can provide a list of questions that a couple should kind of have a conversation around. That's just to get the conversation started. And we also recommend getting those those structures in place. Um, and it gives you peace of mind at the end of the day, knowing that, hey, there is this agreement in place. We know exactly what would happen um, if we were to go separate ways and we know it would be clean and, the, you know, the um, the difficulty is when it turns really ugly and emotional and people dig their heels in and it becomes really messy. I wish we could just pretend that that, that never happened yeah. in relationships. Yeah. But like any contract, you always go into uh, into making an agreement or, or a contract when things are rosy yeah. and when things are great and yeah. then uh, you, you only ever need to resort to that contract if things have gone, have gone sour and it's there to protect both parties. That's right. And the important thing is that contract's there. So, so it limits how out of... Um, out of hand, the parties are going to get. Now, Dorian, in our world at Wealthy, we have clients buying property for different reasons. Mm-hmm. And what I see with some clients is you may have one partner wanting to, that may have a slightly more aggressive property purchasing strategy and they may be wanting to buy property and and do more than perhaps the other partner who might be a little bit more conservative. What is the best structure um, for for sort of outlining um, what what they're what they're going to do in terms of purchasing assets and and how how to best structure that from the outset. Mm. Um, it's a it's a good question because sometimes people don't realise that um, the other party's decision making 
around finances and investment can affect them as well. So if, if one of the parties says, hey, you know, you go and do whatever you want to do in terms of your investments, they might not realise, hey, legally they're in a de facto relationship and everything the other person is doing is will actually affect you in the future. Mm. Um, and likewise, a lot of people think that, okay, it's only been a, it's a short-term relationship, um, we might not even be living together um, and I'll go and invest in something. But the law might actually see that relationship as a de facto relationship, especially if, if um, there's interdependence there with finances, um, if there are children in the mix, um, it's really important to, to get an understanding of, well, legally, what is our relationship? Are we just boyfriend and girlfriend? Mm. Are we boyfriend and boyfriend, girlfriend and girlfriend? Are we, um, what are we? All the colours Or are we considered a de facto relationship under the law? What is that? Or do we get married? What, what is a de facto relationship and what are some of the parameters that, so if someone's listening and they're in a relationship, what now should they be thinking and what kind of sets of criteria and things are coming in their brain? How can you help shed some light there? Sure. Um, well, uh, de facto relationship under the, the Family Law Act is essentially a relationship where people have been living together for at least two years. However, um, there are other factors that a court would consider to determine whether it's a de facto relationship. Like I said, if there are kids and you haven't been living together for two years, you might be in a de facto. Um, if you're financially really inter intertwined um, within the first two years, then you could also be in Sharing a bank accounts and credit cards yeah. and stuff like yeah. that. If there's that level of interdependence, then you may find yourself in a, in a de facto relationship or the court would find that. Um, and under a de facto relationship, you, you essentially have the same rights as a married couple would. So what does that so, mean? What kind of, let's just assume someone, you know, we've got a strong, powerful woman coming to the relationship. She's got all these assets and then she's dating a guy that's, you know, aspirational, making good money, but doesn't have any assets. Mm -hmm. They start dating, they're living together for a little while and there's a, there's no binding agreement. There's no, there's no financial agreement between them. They're now de facto. Mm -hmm. What's, what's the worst case scenario? Um, Depends on who, who, who for whether it's for the, for the guy or the girl. For the for the the, the, the person with the most assets. Yeah, okay. Um, well, the person with the most assets might think in their mind that hang on, it's we're not married. Um, it hasn't been a long relationship. I've brought all these assets into the relationship. They're mine. Mm -hmm. um, but the court would look at other factors. They'd look at, okay, who's brought what into the relationship? What's the nature of the relationship? Was the guy dependent on her? Um, was he doing bringing other things into the relationship uh, and contributing in other ways? And, you know, it might be in non-financial ways. So the court would, for example, with child rearing, um, that is a massive contribution in in an in a relationship. Um, so you, the the person bringing the assets in, into the into the relationship might find themselves very surprised that they're leaving the relationship without all those assets. Um, and the court would would do a split. Um, and it's there's a fine a formula and a criteria that the, the courts follow. Um, it's not fifty fifty. Um, it's not even 70-30. There's a whole bunch of con uh, factors that they consider to, mm. to come up with that split. So, Doreen, I've got another question for you that's on my mind. Mm -hmm. If I am going into a relationship and I'm going to keep investing, I want to do developments, I still want to keep doing lots of property, uh, but I don't want it, that to impact anyone that I am seeing, um, it, do prenups work? 
what what should I be doing? So prenups are binding financial agreements. I think in America they call them prenups. Here we don't call them prenups. We call them binding financial agreements. And a, a lot of people say, oh, they're not worth the paper they're written on because um, they can be challenged in court. And the, obviously there's the Family Law Act. Um, however, if they're, if they're drawn up correctly and at the right time, they can be effective. Um, and, yeah, it's, it's for both parties. So if you do have someone who is – got lots lots going on um, in terms of investments they want to protect themselves um, yeah binding financial agreement would be the way to go and there's a lot of flexibility in that agreement um, the agreement might say that hey this agreement automatically terminates if we've been together for 10 years yeah it, okay. um, it automatically terminates if we have children it automatically terminates um, if we get engaged or yeah, whatever if certain conditions are met. Um, so there's a lot of flexibility you can build into it to protect to protect the parties. So in t in terms of wrapping up today, what I'm going to take away, Dorian, mm -hmm. and I thank you so much for joining us. What I'm going to take away is that the first step to avoiding the relationship woes is to communicate from the outset, have the conversations early so that everyone knows where they stand. The second one is that there's no shame and it shouldn't be taboo to be talking about these things because it protects both parties. So mm -hmm. if we are doing the right thing, it is also going to protect the other side if there is a break up down the track and also to give your call and get some help so ask the questions it doesn't always have to be uh, have to be very formal legal advice but mm -hmm. just call um, call someone and, and have the conversation in the, in from the outset so that you know the facts perfect I think you've summarized it really well um, this area of binding, uh, binding financial agreements is relatively new um, people are becoming a lot more savvy Obviously, the nature of relationships are changing a lot. So it is um, something that your parents might not necessarily have thought about, but our generation probably needs to think about. And, um, yeah, we're more than happy to chat to anyone and, and give them that advice. And just because just I know I'm conscious of time, um, but just so people listening, is this is it super expensive? Is it thousands of dollars to have this conversation or is it hundreds? Oh, just look, we'd, we'd have a free conversation with you um, just to get you in the know and, and, and outline the risks and, and even do an assessment on, of what your relationship is and the status of it. Um, but to do a, to draw up a binding financial agreement, again, it depends on the complexity, but you are looking at around the $2,000 mark. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like uh, that sounds like chicken feed, though. If you're buying property and assets and investing, it's and there's a lot of It's going to cost a lot more when you end up in court. Yeah, fighting over absolutely, assets, so. absolutely, and the emotional strain on that would exactly. be awful. Yep. And as we said, breakups are hard enough. So uh, let's try and keep them as amicable. Yep. Uh, but as stay together, <laughs> love oh, each yeah. other. Yeah, of course, of course. You never go into a relationship <laughs> thinking you're going to break up, though, do we? And invest well, so at least when you're carving it up, you're both walking away with something. <laughs> That's a great point, Dominique. That's true. Thank you for adding that. That's wonderful. Well, Dorian, thank you so much for joining us. Dominic, thank you so much for joining us also. I know you're both very busy. Great to have you on our Wealthy Wednesdays podcast. And for everyone listening, thanks for joining us. Make sure you click subscribe to our Spotify channel uh, or follow us on all the different social platforms so that you're getting all of the wealthy updates along the way. Take care.